Welcome to the Truth Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Harrison. The Truth Matters Podcast is a production of Grace to You, the Bible teaching ministry of John MacArthur. My guest today is Executive Director at Grace to You. You're all familiar with him, Phil Johnson. Phil, welcome again. Yeah, How you good doing, to bud? be back with you. Thanks for joining me again. You know, Phil, the last time we met, in our last episode, as a matter of fact, you and I had a conversation about John MacArthur's sermon, Hacking Agag to Pieces. Right. One of the things we talked about in our conversation was that that was the first sermon that I'd ever heard John MacArthur preached. I think that sermon was preached back in 93. I think I might have heard it somewhere around 95 or so. And that was not only the first John MacArthur sermon that I heard, but it was also the first expository sermon that I'd ever heard. Now, when we wrapped up that episode, we were at lunch and you were just having, you just sort of casually mentioned the first sermon that you heard of John MacArthur's, which is what we're going to talk about in this episode of the Truth Matters podcast. Oh, good. And that that sermon's titles, God's Will is Not Secret. Right. God's Will is Not Secret. Give us the backstory on that, man. What can you tell us about uh, how, how, how it came to be that that was John's first sermon of yours that you heard? Yeah, I had never actually even heard of John MacArthur. Uh, this was September of 1977. He had been at Grace Church for eight years, I suppose. And um, I think people on the West Coast were were beginning to hear of him. He'd written a couple of smallish books and all that, but I'd never heard of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was invited to come and speak at Moody Bible Institute mm-hmm. to a series of student chapels. They called it Spiritual Emphasis Week. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Normally, chapel in those days was 30 minutes, and they had a different speaker every day, and they weren't particularly good necessarily even. But for that week, they would bring in one speaker who would speak every day for a full hour, a series of messages that were linked together. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, it was during my student years at Moody, it was one of the highlights for me. I loved the speakers they got and all that. But by 1977, I was working as an editor at Moody Press. So I was on staff there, you know, in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. And um, it was it was an important enough event that they let staff people even come to student chapel while they had this special speaker. And they sent around a flyer saying who this guy is. It was John MacArthur Jr., it said he's a fifth-generation pastor. His father used to be an extension speaker for Moody Bible Institute, pastors Grace Community Church in Southern California, and today he's speaking on God's will for your life. Oh, okay. And uh, I read that and thought, I'm too busy today to go hear that. I, <laughs> You're I don't too know. busy to find out about God's will. Well, well, no, I'd heard so many messages on God's will as a Bible college student uh, that I thought, or uh, yeah, there's nothing he's going to say that I haven't heard. And in fact, I shared an office with another guy, and uh, he came in that morning, and just before the chapel started, he said, are you going to go down to the uh, student chapel today? Mm-hmm. And I said... No, I don't think so. I say, who's that guy again? And so he reads the flyer to me, fifth generation pastor, son of uh, a former extension speaker, pastor's Grace Community Church, Southern California, and it's God's will for your life. And I said, there's no way I'm going to go hear that. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to hear some guy whose claim to fame is he's somebody's son. Somebody should tell Junior that every speaker who ever comes to Moody Bible Institute talks about God's will for your life. He's not going to say anything I've never heard. No, I'm not going to go. Wow. And uh, so That's kind of arrogant there, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> One of my besetting sins, I'm afraid, is that sort of... 
But I turned back to the book I was editing, and, and about 30 seconds later, one of the secretaries stuck her head in the door. She is now my wife, Darlene. Whoa. And she says, I'm going down to student chapel. Were you going to go? I said, yep, I was just coming. <laughs> So I went because it was a free hour to sit oh, next boy. to this girl I was dating, you know. And the truth comes out. That's right. <laughs> I remember where we sat. I remember this so vividly. We sat in the balcony behind the sound booth, uh, and I wasn't expecting to really pay close attention. I was there for her, you know. Of course. And from the time he opened his mouth, John just had me riveted. I, I had never heard anyone speak with that kind of clarity, and furthermore, he defied all of my expectations. I thought, he's not going to say anything I've never heard. I'd never heard anything like this right, before. Right. And he went from text to text, mm -hmm. all of it biblical, mm -hmm. all his illustrations mm -hmm. were biblical, all his points were well-supported, and it was a view of of how to understand and follow the will of God that was unlike anything I'd ever heard. You know, mm -hmm. in Bible colleges, you, you get a lot of messages about sort of a mystical view of God's will. Yeah, you know, yeah. if, if you have a peace in your heart and, and you know, you, you put out a fleece, all those sorts of things yeah. that I'd heard. And John basically said, look, it's God's will that you be saved, that you be sanctified. Mm -hmm. He had this brilliant outline that was yeah, all illiterate. Yeah, I want to talk saved, about that, too. You be sanctified, you be suffering, you be serving. I forget what they all are, but when he gets to the end of it, he says, if all those things are in order, do whatever you want. Yeah. You don't have to get yeah. a, a, a secret message from God yeah. to know what his will is. And I had never heard anything like yeah. that before, but he had me absolutely convinced because it was so loaded with biblical proofs. And uh, I remember thinking about 10 minutes into his message, I, I have never heard anything this clear, this biblical, this guy is unlike any preacher I've yeah. ever heard, yeah. and he ought to be writing books. Yeah. And, and that was the day I started to fantasize about, you know, I'm a book editor. He needs somebody like me. Mm -hmm. to, uh, I thought that would be the greatest thing ever. So you were trying to get in with two people then. You were trying to get in with Darlene. You yes, to, I was trying and, to get in with Darlene. And then you were trying to get in with John. Actually, no. I never tried to get in with John. I never approached him or talked to him or any of that. I, I just was absolutely uh, blown away by the clarity of his preaching. Darlene and I got married the next year. Okay. Moved to Florida, where I spent three years as an assistant pastor in a church, and uh, uh, Tampa— a Tampa radio station mm -hmm. was one of the first three stations in the country to carry the original broadcasts of Grace to You. Mm -hmm. And it, that premiered the week Darlene and I moved to Tampa. Mm -hmm. So I began to listen to Grace to You r really as soon as it premiered. I probably was one of the first 50 people on their mailing list. Wow. And uh, I would listen to John every day. As an assistant pastor, I did a lot of teaching myself and all that, and I had a lot of things to do. But I would order my day around Grace to You so that no matter what else was on the schedule for the day, I was I was able to listen to the—it was a radio broadcast. Mm -hmm. I had to sit by my radio in my office, and I would take notes, listen to John. And he never spoke without me thinking, he really ought to be writing books. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never pursued that. I mean, I was in Florida. He's in California. Right. We were about as far away as possible. It was Moody Press that put us together. Right. Uh, Jerry Jenkins called me one day and said— uh, we're planning on doing this massive project with John MacArthur. 
commentaries on the entire New Testament. Mm-hmm. It was the MacArthur New Testament commentary mm-hmm. series. He said, we want you to fly up here to Chicago and have a meeting with a group of editors. They, they had a plan to have several editors work on that so that they could knock the whole project out right. in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever did the math and figured at the rate John preaches, it's going to take him 30 years to get through the New Testament. Right. But uh, he, uh, it, that was how I met him. Uh, in a meeting at Moody Press to talk about the commentaries. And, of course, we hit it off right away. And, and like they say, the rest is history? Sort of, yeah. Yeah? I ended up going back to Moody Press, not to edit the MacArthur commentaries, but to be their acquisitions editor. Okay. And so I was able to work with John on on the book that you and I talked about a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, true worship. Was, uh, true, uh, right, worship, the ultimate priority, right? right? Yep. You're right, mm-hmm. and... Um, he he apparently liked my work on that, and and I enjoyed doing it so much. He said to me one day, "You should just quit your job at Moody Press and come to work for me." And I said, "Okay." Yeah. And literally a few weeks later, I was here. I've been here ever since. That's, that sounds a lot like how I got. I got. Yeah, it's very similar. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier John's outline right. uh, for that sermon, "God's Will Is Not Secret." I want to talk about that outline with you, but. Right before we came into the studio to record uh, this episode, Phil, I just took a stab and did a Google search and I just typed in finding God's will. I got 74.2 million hits. Wow. 74.2 million. Why do you think finding God's will as a as subject matter, okay, as a as a as a topic would result in that volume of of hits on, on an internet search. Is, is, is that, is that because people really care or, or Christians really care about that in general? That's part of it. I think a lot of people have a superstitious interest, right. you know, yeah. in finding God's will. Mm-hmm. That's why they drift towards mystical methodologies yeah. trying to, but it is a question that every Christian at some point or another in his life is going to ask, how do I, discover God's will on this question. Lots of decisions that all of us make, where to go to college, who to marry, big decisions in life like that, that don't have specific answers in Scripture. There's, you're not going to find a, a Bible verse that's mm-hmm. going to tell you, yes, marry that girl or mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so, so we all struggle with this question, how do I find God's will? And and sadly, most of the answers that are given to that question are just dead wrong. They're yeah. not biblical. They're mm-hmm. not biblically grounded. Mm-hmm. They're they're mystical, superstitious, all sorts of that. And and I think there's something also inborn in each of us that makes us naturally lean towards that sort of superstitious thing. You know, mm-hmm. we 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 think you know maybe flip a coin or mm-hmm. whatever. And and there are places in Scripture where. Methods like that were Locks used, are cast and, and yeah, such mm, to make yeah. decisions. Mm. But you know what's the what's the way to make a wise decision? How do you know it's within the will of God? That was the question John MacArthur was answering. Yeah, that sort of segues into where I want to go. I want to just go through John's six six layers of his outline for that sermon, uh, and we're going to go one by one. And Phil, what I want to do is I've, I've I've captured not only the 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 main point of each of those uh, uh, outline points, but I also have a quote from John that I really uh, want to run by you and sort of expose and discuss as well as we make our way through the outline. But as I listen to this sermon and just in preparation for our conversation today, one of the first things that stood out to me 
it sounds rather simplistic or, or, and, and not very profound, but it really it really hit me where John said, I believe we can know God's will. He, he is one of the I don't know if I've heard another pastor say that. Uh, because of what you said earlier, it's, we, we kind of default to God's will being so mysterious, right? so ethereal, sort of, sort of out there, yeah. where unless we have some sort of burning bush experience, there's, there's no way we can find it out. In fact, I think John was so so keyed into this question. He'd, he'd been dealing with uh, young people for the early part of his ministry. Mm-hmm. Before he became a pastor, he was a youth speaker, and, and uh, th- this was probably the most commonly asked question he dealt mm-hmm. with. And most people assume that somehow God's will is a mystery. It's mm-hmm. a secret. And and mm-hmm. so that's even his his desire to refute that notion mm-hmm. is reflected in the title, mm-hmm. you know. And in fact, in the in in some versions, he's preached this passage, or, or it's not a passage. He's preached on this subject several times. Mm-hmm. And um, they all have similar titles god's will is not lost Mm -hmm, the book mm -hmm. version is called found god's will Mm -hmm. and so he's refuting the idea that somehow god's will is a secret or a mystery that's hard to find Mm -hmm. and and he's saying look god has not made it difficult for us to discover what his will is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now i said this is not a not a passage right that's one thing that makes this message stand out as well. It's ironic that this was the first sermon I ever heard from John MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I instantly thought about it is I don't think I've ever heard a a sermon that was that biblical, so full of scripture references, so clearly drawn out of the text of scripture. And yet it's a very unusual sermon for John MacArthur because he's not going through a passage. He's jumping from text to text in the scripture. He's taken a subject and, you know, basically studied what all of Scripture says about mm-hmm. it, and so he goes from passage to passage to passage. Very unusual. You don't find many John MacArthur sermons where he uses that strategy, but he did on this one. You know, when you say that John went through all of Scripture uh, in walking us through the reality that God's will is not secret, he literally started at the book of Genesis. He w- he literally yeah. went all the way back to the beginning. So so let's let's walk through the outline here for a second, Phil. Let's take a few moments and walk through these. I want to expound, though, on that quote, uh, the, the statement that I, I quoted from John earlier where he said, I believe we can know God's will. That's only part of a quote that I really want to finish out here. So I strung a few sentences together. Uh, and here's what John said. He said, quote, I believe we can know God's will. I don't think God wills things for us that he doesn't make available to us. Then he makes this point. He says, unless there is a desire in you to do the will of God, it is at least questionable whether you are a Christian at all. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is a preoccupation and a centering of his life on the will of God, unquote. Now, here's a question I have for you. When we talk about the will of God, we usually default to something that has to do with us, something we want, a desire we have, a direction we personally want to get clarity on whether or not we want to go in. But in John's outline, his first point is that God's will is for you to be saved, right? for you to be saved. He says, it is the will of God that men be saved, redeemed, not perish. I found that interesting that John takes us out, out of ourselves and points us back to God. Comments yeah. on that? 
Well, that that is actually the fundamental thing you have to get right if you mm-hmm. really want to do the mm-hmm. will of God. You have to understand this is about God's will. It's mm-hmm. not about my mm-hmm. will. It's mm-hmm. not about my opportunities or, or any of that. It's about God's mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. What does he want for me? Mm-hmm. And how do I discern that? And uh, so if you don't look outside of yourself uh, and specifically to the Word of God, then you're never going to be able to make sense of God's will. It's not hidden from you, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, one of the problems that all of us have with with understanding the will of God is that uh, we we have a sinful tendency be, because we're fallen yeah. creatures. We have this sinful tendency to suppress the truth we know yeah. and uh, replace it with you know evil desires or just fleshly desires. Yeah. And uh, so the, the you you can't do anything other than that if in the first place you're not regenerate, right? Yep. You have to have a regenerate heart to yep. even be interested in the will yeah. of God. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that he says that's the distinguishing mark yeah. of a Christian. I'm guessing that if you did a, a a search at the Grace to You website for what John says is the distinguishing mark of the Christian, you'd find that he usually says. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is love for Christ, Mm -hmm. love for Christ. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that as you said that. It's not that different, is it? Because Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love him, you are going to want to do his will. That's the very definition of loving Christ, the desire to do his will. Yeah, he says that as I listen to you, I'm thinking about 1 John 3, where uh, John writes that this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Right. Okay. So, so what we're doing is, as I see it anyway, as we talk about the will of God, I guess the presupposition is, is that you want to know the will of God so that you could obey that will. Right. Right. Now, curveball for you here. How would you answer the antinomian who says that obedience to God is not really necessary? Well, I'd start by saying you're wrong. (laughs) You're just wrong. And uh, and I would give him the answer that I just gave. Mm-hmm. If if you really loved Christ, uh, um, it's it's very clear. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so someone who has no desire to obey, to f- follow Christ and obey him uh, really doesn't have any basis for assurance of his salvation. Now, it's true that for all of us as believers, there are times when we depart from the will of God, we yes. disobey w- o- sinful desires overwhelm us or or you know we we give in to our own lusts mm-hmm. uh is what james says mm-hmm. and that conceives sin and and even as believers we're capable of that but what's the ruling principle of your life right. that's really the question yeah. is 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 your dominant desire mm-hmm. to love christ follow him and obey him and if you can't answer yes to that question, then you really need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Yes, great stuff, Phil. So point two in John's outline, John has a six-point outline here. And point two, point one was uh, that, that uh, God's will is that you be saved. Second one is God's will is that you be spirit-filled, okay? And a quote that I have from John here is this. John says, quote, does this mean I've got to get the spirit? All believers possess the spirit of God, John says, that's not the issue. We don't need to seek what we already have. Uh, and I think that goes to some of that mysticism, that sort of mystic view yeah. of God's will that that many Christians default to, to, well, I need an extra level of a feeling of the Holy Spirit, or I need to you know, do something to engage God uh, in some sort of uh, next level 
uh, spiritual experience in order for me to know the will of God. What are your thoughts on uh, John saying that God's will is for you to be spirit filled? Yeah. In fact, when I first heard him say that, I thought, where's he going to go with that? Because I think a lot of us are conditioned to think uh, that that term spirit filled is somehow synonymous with the charismatic experience. Yes. Uh, the charismatic movement has done such a successful job of conditioning people to think that way, mm-hmm. that the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the manifestation of some kind of supernatural giftedness or whatever. Uh, and and uh, this is one of the parts of that message that stands out in my mind when I first heard John preach it, where I thought, Wow, I've never understood it like that before, but that's Mm -hmm. clearly biblical. Mm -hmm. He was saying, look, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the meaning of that is very clear. You already have the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. so you're not going to get more of him. So that can't be what it mean. What it means? What does it mean? And he goes to the scripture in Ephesians that says, uh, "Don't be drunk with wine, mm-hmm. but be filled with the Spirit." Mm-hmm. And he says, "We say someone is filled with wine, mm-hmm. meaning he's drunk. He's mm-hmm. controlled by mm-hmm. the wine. Mm-hmm. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. To to have your actions and your life and your thoughts and all of that uh, at His direction. And that was a a whole new understanding of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit for me. And, and uh, you know, as I studied that over the years in Scripture, it's clear, and John's absolutely right. It's a shame that so many people get the wrong impression from just that phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Phil, as we talk through these uh, points in John's outline for this sermon, God's will is not secret. And as I listen to you, you know, you listen to this sermon. Yeah, the sermon's focused on— uh, the subject of God's will, but John also sort of refutes so many other doctrinal misunderstandings. Okay. As he, as he, as he preaches this sermon, right. uh, you just mentioned one, you know, explaining what it means to be filled with the spirit. Um, point number one, that God's will, uh, God wills for you to be saved. Uh, John points out that, you know, you can't even think about doing the God, doing God's will if your heart's not regenerate. Yeah. Uh, so there's so many doctrinal clarifications that John gives in this sermon as well. Yeah, that's right. And if you think about it, um, the, the, his whole approach to the will of God, debunking sort of mysticism, the magical, mm-hmm. you know, approach to the will of God, that that also refutes a lot of charismatic teaching. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit, he's refuting the charismatic view. As I recall, and I, it's not fresh in my mind, but I don't remember that he ever mentioned the charismatic movement he didn't. in this He didn't. He message. doesn't. So it's no. not a polemic against... Right charismatic doctrine, but if you follow him through the scriptures, you're going to have an understanding of what those phrases mean, the will of God and be filled with the Spirit, that, you know, in a significant way refutes an awful lot of charismatic presuppositions. Well, continuing on that train of thought, uh, point three in John's outline is that God's will is that you be sanctified. And a quote I pulled from the sermon uh, is this from John, quote, that means being set apart. That means being pure, being holy, being righteous, being virtuous, being sinless. God's will is that we be pure, undefiled, unspotted and blameless. That's God's will, unquote, from John. So he gives you clarity on what it means to be sanctified as well. That's another charismatic 
Um, yeah. I, I guess attributed uh, aspect of what it means to be a Christian, right? Is to, uh, to 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 be sanctified in a way that's different than what John is explaining. Yeah, yeah. Being sanctified as a synonym to be holy, right? Be holy, right? Set apart, separate, right? And I think a lot of people today, when they think of holiness, they think of you know Amy Semple McPherson mm-hmm. in a white dress mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. The holiness movement, but right. uh, uh, John in that context of that message explains sanctification in a way that both convicts you, you know, yep. and um, and also straightens out your thinking regarding what is this calling for to be sanctified? It's not a, again, it's not an experience right. that comes upon you. It's, it's talking there about the pursuit of holiness. That's where many of us stall in our pursuit of God's will. We, I want God's will for me as long as it's full of blessing and all that, but uh, to the degree that it demands that I be holy, yep, it's not such a comfortable idea. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come to that uh, here later on as we make our way through this outline. Uh, point four in John's outline is that God's will is that we be submissive, and on that point, John says this. He says, "Being a Christian is an act of initial submission to the control and the leadership." of Christ, unquote. And as I read that quote and I listened to John, as I listened to the sermon on yesterday, I'm thinking of Luke 646, where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I think this point on submissiveness is exactly what you were talking about. Right. You know, we, we kind of want God's will with an asterisk. Okay. We want God's will with respect to, as long as it's something that I'm comfortable obeying him on. Yeah. Right. But when we have to get uncomfortable, when he shows us his will and he leads us into an area where we, we have to get uncomfortable, uh, that's not. The, well, God, I didn't mean that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to put myself back in 1977 uh, and what I was <clears throat> like as a fairly immature Christian at the time hearing this for the first time. That's 1977. In 1988. By then, I was here on staff at Grace to You working with John MacArthur on editing The Gospel According to Jesus, mm-hmm. which is a book that actually expands on that very topic, submission right. to Christ, mm-hmm. following the Lordship, Lordship. of Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so this message would have been my first hint of, uh, of John's stress, which is in many ways one of the key aspects of his ministry over the years, his stress on the Lordship of Christ. Yes, yes. He's taken a lot of heat. Yeah. Overtaking that stance as well. So, yeah, that really segues into point five. I'll tell you this outline, uh, the way John just laid this out is just so brilliant because we go from point four to submissiveness to point five, which was suffering, that God's will is that we suffer. And on this point, John says this. He says part of the growing of a mature believer is suffering. When you enter into suffering for the cause of Christ, you enter into an intimate identification with him who suffered, but the one who doesn't suffer never really understands. Uh, the one who doesn't suffer never really understands what it means to be in an intimate identification with Christ. Can you comment on that, Phil? Yeah, well, it occurs to me, too, that that's another point against so much charismatic yep. teaching, mm-hmm. you know, yep. where the charismatic idea, especially the, the, um, Name it and claim it charismatics, yep. you know, the health and wealth and prosperity yep. people are always teaching that the it's not God's will as well. Yeah, it's not God's will for you to suffer. Right. If you're suffering, that's your fault. And, you know, you've you've made a nef- negative confession or something like that. Yep. And and, um, you know, John is saying and Scripture clearly says that sometimes it is God's will for us to 
suffer. And it is God's will for all of us to suffer at times. You know, one of my favorite verses uh, along the line of believers and suffering is Philippians 129, where Paul writes, for to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Um, I think of another verse like Ecclesiastes uh, chapter seven, verse 14, uh, where it says in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember that the Lord has created the one as well as the other. Yeah. Um, what's your response to someone who says, well, why would a God of love? Right. That's always the attribute that that people associate God with first and foremost. Why would a God of love want me to suffer? And it's interesting because both of those verses you just cited suggest that God permitting us to suffer is actually uh, a gift of his grace. Yes. It has been granted unto you, right. you know, to suffer for yes. Christ's sake. It's a gift. Uh, it's it's an amazing privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. And Jesus himself said, you know, count it all joy. And uh, when you, when people persecute you and lie about you, rejoice. I'm looking at you and I'm smiling because I remember the first time I exegeted that verse in Philippians 129 and looked at that word granted. That's literally what it means in the Greek, that it's a gift that God is granting you. Your suffering is a gift that's specifically to you from God for his specific purposes for you. But we just get so focused on that word suffer and we automatically think negatively about it. Yeah. That God's punishing us or he's uh, there's something he doesn't like about us, that that's why God is allowing that suffering in our lives. But no, that that has nothing to do with it. Right. It's it's a gift. It's unbelievable. All right. So last point in John's uh, sermon, God's will is not secret is point six. He says, saying thanks, saying thanks. So we've gone that God's will is for you to be saved, be spirit filled, be sanctified, be submissive, suffering, and then saying thanks. A uh, quote I have here is where John said this. He says, once you begin to follow that desire, and, and that by that desire, he's, he's talking about all six of these things. Once you begin to follow that desire in your heart, and it isn't clear yet, it isn't yet clear what God's will is, he says, wait, because it will be. Wait, because it will be. Now, let's talk about patience or impatience, maybe that. Is there a is there a, a personal story that you have where you were impatient uh, as it relates to obeying God and, and maybe regretted that? Because I think this is a big issue for many, many Christians is just that we don't want to wait. At the same time, we're asking God to show us his will. We don't want to wait because we want that. You alluded to this a second ago. Our own desires and our own flesh, we know what our flesh wants, but we're trying to convince ourselves that our flesh wants the same thing God's want, God wants for us, and it's, it's not always the case. So how, how, how has impatience um, impacted you wrongly in, in a situation? Uh, you know, my kids could probably give you lots of stories of how I was impatient. Uh, they don't stand out in my mind, so I can't think of a classic one that I'd want to share. Well, uh, but, yeah, I, I think that's a, that a lot, of, a lot of our sinful actions are— the result of impatience, not waiting on the Lord. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a common biblical mm-hmm. expression, wait mm-hmm. upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it means in both senses, mm-hmm. you know, wait upon him like a waiter at the table. You serve him, yeah. but also wait on him, meaning wait for his timing because his timing is always right. Yeah. Uh, I I tend to get very frustrated, you know, when I'm 
when I'm waiting and praying for something that that it, you know I, is my will, and I, as far as I know, is the will of God. Yeah. And why doesn't He make it happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, and He always does, but His timing is better than ours. Uh, it's frustrating yeah. when it's slow. Yeah, but there are other times when you know the Lord answers before we even ask, and right. that's part of saying thanks. I, I think yeah. we have to recognize how often the Lord grants the desires of our hearts before we even thought to ask Him for it. I'm reminded as I listen to you, Phil. I'm reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew six. Um, that's my go-to uh, chapter. Um, you know, on matters of anxiety, worry, uh, impatience, uh, concern, where Jesus says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him, right. before you ask him. And yet in our flesh, we, we want to trust, we want to believe that, but our flesh will have nothing of it. We, 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 we want God's will and we want God's will to be what we want. And, and once we zero in on that, you know, the impatience and anxiety comes over. Uh, and, and, and next thing you know, we're outside of God's will doing something that he never intended for us to do. Um, just one last quote here from John, uh, where he says, I believe that God in, is in the business of openly, overtly, and clearly manifesting his desire for us. John says, you can know that. You can know that God is in the business of openly, and clearly manifesting his desire for us. Let me ask you this. If you were counseling someone um, who was in a situation where they are, they're seeking God's will for their life, how would you counsel them with regard to uh, um, waiting on God and, 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 and trusting in what John just said here, that they serve a God who will openly and clearly manifest his will for them if they are just willing to wait? How would you counsel somebody in that area? I would I would go through some of the thing, same things John has says in this message uh, that th- there are certain things in Scripture that are very clear. This mm-hmm. is God's will for you, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're frustrated trying to find His will for the next step in your <clears throat> life, then you have really no choice but to wait. But there's plenty of examples in Scripture where that is exactly how God usually works, yes. and it's how He wants us to trust Him. Uh, I think of the classic example is um, uh, Elijah in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, mm-hmm. where he 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 just comes on the scene with no introduction. We're not told anything about his background or anything. But suddenly, in, there in First Kings, around verse chapter nineteen or so, he he comes into the presence of Ahab and announces that there's going to be a drought and it's not going to rain until he gives the word. And then he goes off into hiding, and the Lord sends him to this little brook. Kareth, it's called, mm-hmm. and it's a tributary to the Jordan River. So there's water, even though he's in a drought, he's got water. The food is brought to him by ravens, which are unclean birds, mm-hmm. but that's his source of food from the gracious hand of God. But suddenly this brook begins to dry up. Now he has no knowledge of what God's plan is going to be, no no advance notice of where he's going to go mm-hmm. after this or w- what he's supposed to do. And yet you don't see in Elijah any impatience or or worry or and he's just trusting the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and scripture says, when the brook dries up, when it dries up, mm-hmm. you know, it, now imagine if you're him, yeah. you're watching this brook <clears throat> begin to dry and wondering, I would be impatient. Yeah. I would be praying. And I imagine he did. 
looking for guidance. But when the brook was dry, then the Lord gave him the next instructions. And he was to go to the house of this widow, and he basically lived in her attic. And you remember when he arrived there, she was on her last last dose Mm -hmm. of uh, flour and oil. Mm -hmm. She's making bread for Mm -hmm. her son and her for their last meal, and they're going to die because they're in this this drought. And uh, he tells her to make him bread instead, and so she gives him the last bit of, as far as she knows, is the last bread she'll ever be able to bake. But the Lord keeps refilling the cruise of oil and the and the ounce of flour. It's not an abundance. Nope. It's never more than a day at a time, right. just like the manna in the wilderness. Yeah, but, just enough but, for but, now. But it's just like, right, what we would call the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Right. Give us our daily bread, right? But we want, we usually want the abundance, yeah. don't we? we usually want and the that abundance. becomes a pattern in in uh, Elijah's career mm. that he he receives instructions from the Lord what to do next. Even though he's a prophet, he can't see far into the future. The Lord only tells him like at the last minute, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in the last second. Mm-hmm. And and so he's a paragon of faith for us because that is how the Lord wants us mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, trust him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'll let us know ahead of time. But even then, we're instructed to pray, not today and tomorrow I'll go and do this thing. But if it's the Lord's will, right. today or tomorrow I'll right. come and do That's what James says in, I think, James chapter 5. Uh he says, don't even talk like that. Yeah. Don't don't speak with confidence about where you're going to be tomorrow because mm-hmm. you really don't know. Don't know. Yeah. And it's hard to keep that in our minds. Yeah. But if we really had that perspective, we wouldn't have to get impatient. You know, I think about as you talk about Elijah, I think about the English missionary George Mueller, uh, who was renowned for. Uh, you know, his work with orphanages and poor children over in England. And uh, George Miller, Mueller was known as a man of prayer. He was an, he was known as a man who de- who literally depended on God for everything. Matter of fact, he would not take uh, he would not solicit donations, contributions, either monetarily or materially otherwise. And um, I, I, I read a book of his a couple of weeks, finished reading a book of his a couple of weeks ago. And he's just very imp- impressive as a man who trusted God, waiting on God. And every single time, even in instances like you're mentioning with Elijah, it would be at the last minute, the very last minute God would come through. Um, but I think it's in those times where God in his providence ordains that we wait on him up until the last millisecond that our faith just skyrockets though. Right, Phil? Right. Isn't isn't that an encouragement as it relates to building our faith and our trust in the Lord? It is. And I think we've all had those experiences where the Lord comes through in unexpected ways Mm -hmm. when the need is absolutely critical. And uh, we just need to learn to trust him for that. There's a story of uh, one of the great seminaries in America. I think it was Dallas Seminary in its heyday, they were in financial straits and uh, not able to pay their bills. And the board was meeting and one of the board members prayed, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, you know, sell some cattle and provide our needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of that meeting, they they received a check uh, that met all the needs. And it actually came from a Texas cattleman who (laughs) sold a bunch of cattle. (laughs) 
Wow, literally. Okay. You know, as I um, as I listen to you there, Phil, I'm reminded of an old uh, uh, what we would call in the day anyway, an old old Negro hymn uh, that that one of the lyrics in the song went, uh, God may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about that as you share that story. So we've been talking, Phil, as we wrap up here on the Truth Matters podcast, we've been talking about John's sermon. God's will is not secret. Uh, let's wrap up with one last question. Why should someone who's listening and watching us today who's not heard this sermon, why should they go out to gty.org and listen to God's will is not secret? Because it is classic John MacArthur. Uh, different from his normal you know, biblical exposition on a text, but you want to see how to handle a topic biblically, here's it. The other reason is you and I haven't even given the punchline yet. At the end of that oh, sermon, yes, yes. Uh, after he goes through all those points, John says, if all those points are in order, here's how you know the, the Lord's will. And, and he gives the answer to that question. I won't give it away because I want people to go and listen yes. to that awesome. message. But when he said that, and I heard him the first time, it, it just opened new vistas of faith in my mind where I realized, yeah, decisions that I had treated as very difficult and confusing actually aren't that hard at all if you, if you look at this question in the right way. You know, Phil, when I heard the punchline towards the end of that sermon, I almost dropped my pen when yeah. I was taking notes because it's just so. It's not at all what you expect. No way. I was like, what? So anyway, Phil, thanks for being my guest today again on the Truth Matters podcast. We've been talking with Phil Johnson, executive director at Grace to You, about John MacArthur's sermon titled God's Will is Not Secret. Thank you all for watching and listening to us today on the Truth Matters podcast and join us next time for the next episode.